A shoot shall sprout from the stump of Jesse, and from his roots a bud shall blossom. Hello, this is Father Thomas, and welcome to the Sprouting Stump podcast series, where we reflect on the readings that come to us from the Mass each day. When we take a little time to let the Spirit come upon us, a bud shall indeed blossom in our hearts, so we might be renewed in spirit and strengthened in faith, as we take this time together to enter into that beautiful word that comes to us from God. On this Divine Mercy Sunday, Father talks about his favorite Bible passage of Doubting Thomas. I say this every year so it should not be a surprise to you that today is one of my favorite Sundays throughout the year. And it's not because it's Divine Mercy Sunday, even though that's a good reason to think it's a wonderful day. It's because every day or every year of the Sunday we read the same gospel passage. And it's one of my favorite gospel passages. In fact, it's one of my favorite passages in all of the Bible. Now, I must confess that I have a little bit of an attachment to this particular gospel because I have to be named after the main character today, the Apostle Thomas, my namesake. But even if he was named Bob or something, I still would find this passage one of the most beautiful in all the scripture because of the depth of its meaning. And every year as we read it and come to this day, I learn a little bit more about what's happening to bring about the intensity of the message that Christ is giving to his people. Now we all know the story. It's like one of those stories that as soon as it begins, we kind of know how it's going to end, we know what's going to happen. Thomas doesn't, isn't there the first meeting, the next meeting he's there. He's the one that says, I'm not going to believe unless you show me your hands and your side. And that's where we get doubting Thomas from. But I have a question, why is it that God, John's Gospel, John picks out Thomas specifically? Why does he target him? So if you read the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus shows up for disciples two different times, and these disciples go and tell the apostles, the Lord is risen, and all the apostles refuse to believe. And Jesus goes to all the apostles in the Gospel of Matthew, and rebukes them and yells at them and says, why won't you believe? So why in John, the Gospel of John, does he target Thomas? Because there's something unique about what's happening with Thomas that we don't give him that we don't quite understand fully. I was going to have a little conversation with him and Jesus saying, what's happening here? So I failed to grasp that the only thing that he's saying is I don't believe that Jesus is risen from the dead. Why would he not believe? Why would he struggle to believe that all of his friends, the other ten apostles that were there, were saying he rose and he's saying I don't believe. And not only is he refusing to believe, he makes the statement, I'm not going to believe until I see him and until I put my fingers in his nail marks and my hand in his side. It seems like a very strange thing to ask, to do, before he'll believe. So I started thinking about what exactly are you doubting? And as the things started to come together, I learned a little bit more about Thomas. 
a wider picture is first to develop. It explains the whole understanding of divine mercy. You see, divine mercy did not begin when St. John Paul II made the second Sunday of Easter Divine Mercy Sunday. It did not begin with St. Faustina when she had her vision of divine mercy. Divine Mercy Sunday began on the second Sunday of Easter with this gospel passage. See, the first time that the apostles met, they could hear about it when he comes to them in the upper room, was Easter Sunday. That night, Jesus comes to them. They're hiding out in the upper room because they're all afraid of the Jews. They're afraid that they too are going to be crucified. So they're gathered together, basically hiding because they're afraid. And Thomas isn't with them. Nobody has any clue why he isn't Thomas with them. The scriptures don't say, tradition doesn't say. We have no idea why he wasn't there. But he wasn't. But he comes back the next week. And the next week is this day. One week. The next Sunday. And Thomas is with them. I started thinking about what exactly is happening here. We start to look at who Thomas is, we start to get a better grasp of what this gospel means. Because you see, Thomas was unique of all the apostles. Remember when Jesus told his other apostles, I'm going to go to Jerusalem to raise Lazarus, he said, to visit Lazarus. And they knew that people in Jerusalem wanted to kill him. So they're all thinking, why would you go back to Jerusalem? You're going to die there. What does Thomas say? Let us go back with him so that we might die with him. Tradition has it that Thomas was probably the most passionately in love with Christ. He had the deepest love for him. John was the one that Jesus loved the most. Thomas was the one that actually loved Jesus the most. He had the greatest connection with Christ. Now it's interesting because if you look at all of the history of St. Thomas, he's got he's one of the most mysterious of the characters. Every secular understanding of Thomas identifies his name is not really Thomas. His first name is Judas. His real name is Judas Thomas. Now the Catholic Church doesn't say that this is absolute, but they don't say it's not true. We actually get this in the Gnostic Gospel, the Acts of Thomas, written by a pagan who was converted to Christianity, who wrote about the history of the church in the second century, and he writes that that's what his name was. They don't have to believe it, but I think it's fascinating to think that his name being Judas Thomas. Why? Because it puts into perspective what's happening with Thomas and why he wasn't there on that first Sunday. Because you see, Thomas started to realize, I quit on God. On my Lord, not on God yet, he hadn't had the revelation. I quit on my best friend. He's the one that states openly in this bold proclamation, let us go to Jerusalem to die with Christ. You know what happens when Jesus dies? He runs away. He quits. He too is afraid. His boldness that he stands for is gone. And he's embarrassed. He's guilty. He feels ashamed. That he who was so convicted of his faith that his Lord gave up and ran away. So he doesn't want to be with the other disciples because he's embarrassed to stand firm with them. He doesn't want to recognize that he quit. But the other reason is because he has a sorrow in his heart that is so intense 
that he can't face it. His disbelief is not because he thinks the other apostles are liars. He won't accept the fact that Jesus raised because he doesn't want to go through that death again. He doesn't want to get his hopes built up and think, my best friend is not really alive. The one I love with all my heart is not really with me. So he refuses to believe until he has that acknowledgement. But there's something else happening which expresses why Divine Mercy Sunday is this day. See, Thomas goes back, finally. Because he did what his namesake could not do. Recall the other Judas also did something horrible to his Lord. He betrayed him. But Judas Iscariot couldn't recognize the love of Christ was enough for his sin. And in guilt he hangs himself. He says, my sin is too great for your love. And he quits ultimately on Christ. And some people have said that the reason why Thomas is named Judas, Thomas is because he's the twin of Judas Iscariot. But this twin decided that I can't walk away again. So he goes back to the upper room in the hopes that they were right, setting aside his fears, setting aside his concern that maybe he will be disappointed again, setting aside everything that it is being that says, don't go back. He goes back. And Jesus shows up again, and he immediately goes to Thomas. And he says, come here, Thomas, and put your fingers in my hands. Look at me. When you ran away from me, I'm back. And take your hand and put it in my side. And I've always wondered, why would he ask such a goofy request? Nobody else in history has ever asked to do something so strange until we understand Thomas. That request was twofold and expresses everything about divine mercy. He wanted to go back and put his fingers in his hands, and his hand in his side, because he wanted to stand before Christ, his Lord and Master, who he loved so much, and he wanted to say to him, I did this to you. I caused this pain, because I did not trust you. I was not strong enough for you. I failed you. Because of my sinfulness, this is what I did to you. And he wants Jesus to experience a little bit of that pain again. But Thomas would stand before him and say, I did this, trusting that this time, God will forgive me, will accept him, will love him. He's putting Jesus to the test. Jesus passes the test and pours out his mercy upon him. So there's another reason why Thomas wanted to do this. Because not only did he want to see the marks of his hands so that he could recognize what he did, he wanted to himself take upon those marks for himself. 
He wanted to enter into the passion of Christ. He, in his love for Jesus, said, I failed you once, I do not want to fail you again. He says, I not only want to see these marks, I want them to become mine. I want to enter into your pain. I want to enter into your sorrow. I want to enter into your mercy so that I can be that mercy. I want to take your hurt and make it mine so I can show the world that your love can conquer all things. <coughs> From that moment on, he lived a life of divine mercy, a life of giving love. He expressed the Christ of the world. And he wanted to be that image of Christ so much that Christ gave him that wish when he died. Another fascinating thing about Thomas is the only apostle that was not beheaded or crucified in his death. He died to me, of all the apostles. Does anyone know how he died? He died by a lance spear in his side. Appears his heart. He received on his death the very wound that he asked Jesus to enter into. He himself in his death showed the world this is divine mercy. He opens up his side out of love for those who are killing him just as Christ did as well. And that's the beauty of what this day is about. It expresses to all of us that we stand before Christ, recognizing that we caused those wounds. Jesus opens up his side and says, I still will allow you to put your hand into my side and touch my heart out of my love for you. <coughs> the most powerful part about this is every time Jesus opens up his side to us, so we can touch his heart, every single time he pours out his mercy for the forgiveness of sins, every single time we go before him, he allows us to enter into that passion. He experiences that pain in his heart all over again. Every offering of mercy, his side is pierced open out of love for us. That's true divine mercy. It's recognized that no matter how many times we fail, we go before him and just say, Jesus, I failed you. He will open up his hands and his side. He will open up his arms to us. Say, put your fingers into my hands and let me hold them. Put your hand in my side and let my heart wrap around it. And see my mercy. Feel my mercy. Know my mercy. When Thomas received that outpouring of mercy, he was giving something powerful in that moment. Thomas, the one person who refused to acknowledge Christ had come again until he saw him, was not only being chastised by Jesus for his lack of faith and his mercy, he's being praised by Jesus by what he finally was able to recognize. Because St. Thomas was the first person in history to look upon Jesus and say, You are God. The God of the Old Testament that I studied growing up. The God of infinite love and mercy who continually forgave the Israelites because they failed over and over again. Thomas, when he says, my Lord and my God, was not simply saying to him, I know you are God. He's saying to him, I know you are my God. 
He's re-entering that covenant with Christ. And he's saying to him in this moment, Jesus, you are my God and I will be your people. And I will be your people always. That's the beauty of this day because that same mercy is opened up to us. And all that's required is to go before Jesus and say, here I am, Lord, a sinner. Can I enter into your passion? And he pours out upon us something so powerfully great that not only are we forgiven our sins, we're made into something more glorious in spite of our sins. Divine mercy isn't a free pass to get away from suffering. It's a grace to allow us to endure suffering. It doesn't bypass the sorrows of life. It strengthens us to use them for something good. It doesn't take away the evil of the world. It gives us the grace to conquer the evil of the world. That is true divine mercy. We celebrate this day today, the eighth day. Because we're still in the Easter octave. The eighth day is the day of the new creation. God's mercy pours upon us. We are recreated in Christ. It is something more. Something better. Something that itself can imitate the mercy of Christ in the world. We can become divine mercy because we've been given divine mercy. And if we're going to honor that mercy, then we need to go to the world and show them that we're willing to open up our side to the world and give our heart to them. No matter what they do to us. That's exactly what Jesus did for us. We should do no less for him.